Joshua. It has been a tremendous opportunity for us to grow in the Lord. We went through the book of Exodus. It took us almost two years to get through the book of Exodus. And now we've gone over from Exodus where we learned Moses' story and we saw his walk with God. What we saw is the transition over from Moses over to his disciple who is Joshua. And so here we are in the book of Joshua. We're now, this is our 30th message in Joshua. Last week we were in Joshua chapter 4. We finished out chapter 4. And we were in verses 21 through 24 over a two-week period. We had a two-part message. And we talked about really what was happening is Joshua keeps referencing back to the to the the memorial that was built this stone memorial it was made of 12 stones representing the people and this stone memorial was to make sure that the people did not forget what God had done so that the people would look and they would see this and what we saw in this memorial is the fact that it was all about their story it was all about their testimony the story of what God had done the miraculous work that he'd done in their lives and what we realized last week as we talked about the fact that God's done a miraculous work in our lives If you are a born-again child of God, there's been a miraculous moment in your life where you've experienced Christ like never before. And what happens is you have a story from that. And what we saw was that there were actually three different testimonies that were revealed in verses 21 through 24. Verses 21 and 22 showed us our family, our legacy or our, our, our testimony to our families, what we leave behind and the legacy we live in our children. Then we looked in verse uh, 23, and in verse 23, we saw two testimonies. We saw the individual, and we saw the collective. And then what we saw in verse 24 was we saw the, the impact that those were supposed to have. So as we looked at these different individual, collective, and impact, what we saw was the fact that God was doing work through all three. And what we saw in that first individual testimony was the fact that, guess what? Each one of us have an individual and a unique story. Right? We all come from different backgrounds. We all have different lifestyles. We all have different experiences. Some of us have been through tragedy in order to come to Christ. Others may have gotten saved when we were young children. But we all have our own personal story. And what it does is it correlates to the fact that, guess what? Though the Israelites went through this massive experience together, being brought out of Egypt and then brought into the Promised Land, at the same time, individually they had their own, their own represented story. And as you and I have a shared experience of salvation meaning that we all came by the same way. We have the same mechanism of faith as what we receive Christ through that same mechanism. But again, we have that unique and personal story. And see, it's our personal story that really makes an impact in people's lives. It's the fact that sometimes someone shares a story of brokenness that they've gone through, not understanding the fact that the person that they're talking to has a shared story of brokenness that they can relate to. And there's a beautiful opportunity there for God to take our testimony and bring hope to hopeless people. Then we looked at the collective aspect. This was the overall experience of the Israelites. And what we saw was the fact that through their collective faithfulness that God had actually gone before them. God had actually already was working in Canaan to help the people to realize the fact that God's power was going to come in to their country. This is before they ever even crossed the Jordan River. And what we did was we correlated the power of their testimony, the way it impacted Canaan, to a way that the testimony of the church as a whole is impacting our world right now. And it's a very strong contrast because what we find in the church today is that it's about biblical compromise. It's not about standing on the Word of God. It's about biblical compromise, making things palatable to, palatable to people, palatable, that's a hard word to say, easy to taste or eat, whatever, tasty. It's all about changing the Word of God or compromising the Word of God so that it's comfortable for people to receive it as opposed to being focused on pleasing God. 
And what you realize the fact that the church is not here to please humanity. The church is here to please God. And the whole purpose of this is that he would receive glory. And that brought us to the impact. The impact of these testimonies. We looked at the global and we looked at the the individual or the personal. And from a global perspective, we again looked at that aspect of the church's job is not exist. It does not exist for pleasing humanity. It exists for pleasing God. And it's where it's supposed to be. The church, if it fulfills its role, it's supposed to be the hospital for the sinner. Those that are broken, those that are helpless, those that are, have dealt with sin in their life, who think, you know what? It's just a sad state of affairs. But there are a lot of people out there that are caught up in sin and their attitude about church is, why would I want to go there? I already feel bad enough about myself as it is. We're not here to point fingers and try to run people down. We're here to lift people up. That's the reason why the church is here. Amen. When someone comes in broken, we're supposed to take them by the hand and help them to be restored by introducing to the Lord who can do a work in their life that no one else can. It's not just about being their friend. It's not just about supplying their physical need. It's about introducing them to God who can change them forever. And that's where the personal impact is, that personal aspect of our testimony. We change the trajectory of our culture because we impact the people's lives that we meet. If we keep ourselves quiet and we keep ourselves separated from the world, we'll never steer our culture back. To God. It's because the church has become isolated and has become a country club for saints. And we sit around and slap each other on the back and tell us how great it is to be a Christian, but we don't care about the dying world outside the doors. Amen. God's saying, hey, that can't be your heart. The impact of the testimony is supposed to change the world. In the last verse of verse chapter, chapter 4, he said this, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you might fear the Lord your God forever. He says, that's what your testimony is supposed to do. It's supposed to change the world, by the way. It isn't supposed to celebrate the fact that you are a child of God. And we have a tendency to do that. So as we move into chapter 5, what we're going to see here is God's transitioning over. What's happening is now he's ready to use them. He's ready to use their story to accomplish great things. We're only going to get through one verse today. I know you all think I go slow, but we're going to even slow down even more today. We're going to get through one verse. It's a pretty long verse, but you'll understand why as we go through it. So this morning, the message is titled, Moving forward. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. And uh, Lord, you know, I've prayed heavy over this message. And Lord, you've shown me so much. And I got, I just do not want to get in the way. So if there's a way you can make me disappear and Lord, just show up and use me as a vessel, Lord, I sure would appreciate it because I can only bring problems to this message if I interject myself. I don't want to do that. I want this to be from you and uh, that we would all have ears to hear. God, is a desperate need in this country for us to step up and become the people that you've called us to be. And I pray that you'll speak to our hearts today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Joshua 5, 1, it says this, And it came to pass, when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan, westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over, that their heart melted Neither was there spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. So what we see here is the power of their testimony, the power of God and the news of what has happened. We're seeing it spread across all of Canaan, the entire place. This is spreading like wildfire, not just to the individual people, but understand it says to the kings. So this is impacting the government. It's impacting everything in this place. And what happens is Joshua, as he shares this, what he's doing, because we know what's going to happen, they're going to Jericho, right? That's the next thing that's getting ready to happen. That's the big moment that's getting ready to take place. 
So what happens? He's telling them this to prepare the way in preparing them for what is to come. And what we find here is every step they're going to take is going to be new ground. None of them have been here before, right? Joshua and Caleb, there's only been the two spies are the only ones that have come this way. So everyone here is looking at virgin land for them. They're looking at new territory. They don't have anything or any idea what to expect. So as they move forward, they've got to trust God. We could say it like this in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. It says, we walk by faith and not by sight. That's an instruction to the church. That's what you and I are supposed to do every day. Mm -hmm. Challenges will come and we walk by faith, not by sight. I don't allow what I see to influence me. I walk by my faith, trusting that God knows what I don't know. That God goes ahead of me and sees what I don't see. So we see that truth. And that's a wonderful thing for us to hold on to as we work through this today. So as here he's preparing them to move forward. Guided by the Lord, what happens is he prepares them to step into this unfamiliar territory. And in doing so, what he's doing is he's reassuring them, yes, but at the same time, he's also teaching them some important lessons. And if we'll listen closely today, because I can promise you, all of us are heading into virgin territory at some point in our life. We don't know where, we don't know how. But every day, guess what? We face new challenges every single day. And if we'll listen to what Josh was teaching here, we'll be prepared to do what we need to do in order to succeed. So the morning, we're going to look at a testimonies, external reach. I'm going to look at a testimony's internal power. So we're going to look at the external reach and the internal power. So with the foreknowledge of what's to come in Jericho, okay, we know that victory is in chapter 6. That's coming up. So with that knowledge of the coming victory, we look at this verse again. Verse 1, it says, And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until they were passed over. Now we know that God miraculously stood the waters of the Jordan up and the people crossed the Jordan on dry ground. So immediately what we notice here is the impact of the Israelite story, right? We see this thing, man, it goes overnight. It spreads because we know from the scripture that they crossed on the 10th. Okay. Now it's not going to be until we get to Joshua chapter five, verse 10, we're going to be only just the 14th. So only a four day window. So on the first day they have arrived in Gilgal. So word spread like, I mean, this I'm talking overnight, the all of Canaan, which is a massive place. Everybody there is going, did you hear? 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 There's no Facebook. There's no Instagram. There's no TikTok. There's no nothing, right? They got no, they don't have a telegraph. This is simply word of mouth. And listen, everybody knows what's coming. The whole country is freaking out. It's because of the miraculous nature of the story, but also validated by the fact that, guess what? In Gilgal, there are a couple million Israelites. And if you go to the Jordan and you look, there's nobody footprints. There's no tracks of water. There's no water anywhere. They came across on dry ground. So what we were told must have happened. So that water stood up. I've never seen our gods do that. They came across on dry ground. God did the impossible. It's real. It's true. Right? And what we look at that is we go, oh my goodness. A miraculous work was done. And when people see us and they look in our lives, if you're truly born again, your life was going one way. And Jesus intervened. And when he did, your life took a different turn. And guess what? The word will spread. People that knew you before will see a difference 
in your life because of a miraculous work of God. And you know what verifies it? The new creature that stands before them. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Guess what? God's writing a new story. The wilderness is closed. I've set you free. You've been delivered. Guess what? It's time to start a new story. So no longer do we look like the world. No longer do we sound like the world. No longer do we live like the world. We have a new, a new heart, a new purpose, a new reason for living. Listen, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 18. And all things are of God. You know what he's saying? Now that I'm born again, my life is all about Jesus. I got a new purpose for being on this planet. It's not just about surviving. It's not just about seeking happiness, but it's about realizing the fact that God wants to work in me. Listen, he says, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation to reconcile the world to him. God's given us a purpose, a purpose for life. If you ever saw the old Blues Brothers movie, I haven't seen it in a million years, but I remember there was one line from that movie. We're on a mission from God. That's what he used to say in the movie. We're on a mission from God. Guess what? We're on a mission from God. That's what he's telling us. You've got a new purpose. Are you going to do it? The sooner we embrace our new life in Christ, the sooner we understand who we are, and the sooner we start to tell our story, and we start to live our Christianity instead of pretending or professing ourselves by a title or by a a, a cross tattoo on our arm, but our life doesn't look like Christ. The sooner we start to live like Him, the greater impact our, 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 our testimony starts to spread. And it's all about the reach. It's all about the reach. And far and wide, the word will spread. And let me tell you, in the circle of my friends, guys, I grew up partying. I grew up with drugs and alcohol and sex and all that garbage. I didn't get saved till 34. So I lived in the world, knee deep, neck over, whatever. I was all the way in it. So I lived in that garbage for years. And guess what? I had friends that I did those things with. And guess what? When I got saved, I changed. There was a dramatic change in my life. And what happened there was not all of them responded the way I hoped they would have responded. What? Some people turn their backs on us. Some people maybe see us in a different light. You know what? They fear us. They don't want to talk to us sometimes. Right? They fear us. They avoid us. They could even revile us, make fun of us, right? Is it because we did something wrong? No, No, it's because we don't do things wrong anymore, right? I changed my behavior. The reason they like me is because I was in all the garbage they were in. They didn't see me and say, wow, you know what? I feel bad about what I'm doing. They were like, dude, he's right in it with me, right on this rock and roll, baby. Let's do it. Yeah. When you're heading into a a pit and you got people going with you, what do they say? Misery loves company, right? And what happens if you ever see, there's an old uh, adage, it's it's called a bucket of crabs. And if you've ever been fishing before and you've ever seen a bucket of crabs, what happens if you pile the crabs in, if one crab starts to climb out, you know what the other crabs will do? Get out of here, boy. You ain't getting out of here. Right? They pull them down. And guess what? You'll find in your life when you try to climb out of where you were, instead of cheering you on, good for you, brother. No, it's like, you know what? Who does he think he is? I think you're better than me. You you, You think, oh, you're Mr. High and Mighty now, huh, buddy? Let me tell you, when I have conversations with people from the past and the Lord comes up, because he always does, yes, sir. 
I can't keep inside what he's done to my life. And then when, I, when he comes up, the message and the conversation becomes strained at best. And many times I know that I've walked away and had conversations probably spoken about me. Not because I've done anything to them, but because, because of who it is we represent. See, that's what it is. They don't like him, so they disparage us. Not because we've done anything to them, but simply because it is we, who we represent. Matthew 5.11 says this, Blessed are ye. Okay, this is in the Beatitudes. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. They're even lying about you. You haven't done anything wrong. Why? For my sake. Jesus says it's for my sake. Why do you think the Christians are mistreated around the world? Why do you think right now the Taliban is hunting the number one people they're hunting right now? Christians. And they're not hunting them to set them free or bring them to the airport. They're hunting to kill them. Because to kill an infidel, guess what? That's a feather in your cap. They're being hunted all around the world. And the history of Christianity, if you want to track it back all the way to Antioch, the most persecuted people that have ever lived on this planet are Christians. Over 50 million Christians have been martyred in the last couple thousand years. It is unbelievable because the prince of this world hates Christ. And if we stand for him, guess what? He hates us. John 15, verses 18 and 19. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you, Jesus says. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. We did when we were in the world, man, they loved us. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. Listen, they hated me without a cause. Without a cause, because he stands for what they do stand against with all their hearts. To, to be in love with sin and want to have no one reprove you. Man, that's where the world is right now. And so when we stand for what's right, we get sing, singled out. The message of the gospel is what this world needs, man. That's who they need to hear. And what you find is the fact is as the message goes out in our life, people will respond. And what you see is in Canaan, what happens? They respond dramatically. Emotionally, they're freaked out across the board. John 16, verses 7 and 8. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away, Jesus says. For if I go not away, the Comforter, the Spirit of God, will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, what does the Spirit of God do in this world? He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And guess what the world does not want to do? It does not want to be reproved. It wants to have its sin smacked on the back and approved and say, let's all gather together and say, you know what? Sin is good. Let's turn this world upside down. What's right is wrong and what's wrong is right. Have we not seen that in our culture even as we speak? Amen. Absolutely. Amen. It's happening everywhere. Amen. And as the Spirit reaches out to the lost world, there are two responses. There's either submission or there's rebellion. One or the other. And what we will see in this Joshua story is a majority are going to rebel. There'll be a very select few that won't, but a majority will rebel. But see, God's heart is that all would come to repentance, that all would come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3, 9 tells us that. But the sad reality is that a majority will rebel. Listen to this in Matthew 7, verses 13 to 14. Enter ye in at the straight gate, okay? Notice he says the straight gate. He's saying, look, this isn't tricky. These aren't turnstiles and tricky business. This is a straight gate, right? This is easy to walk through. Enter ye in the straight gate. 
for the way, for the wide, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Destruction is easy, man. Just stay on the course you're on. Verse 14, because straight is the gate. Notice this. It's just as easy. It's not tricky. This is salvation he's talking about. It's just as simple, but narrow is the way. Jesus said, I am the way, which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. As God calls out to humanity, if we're willing to hear, if we're willing to respond, God will reveal it to us. But because people stand in rebellion, they don't even see it or they make, or they make fun of it. And this is why we share our testimony. Because guess what we're doing? We're pointing them to the narrow way. We're pointing them to the way of life. We're pointing to the place, to the place of hope. We're pointing them to Christ. Amen. And this brings us to a testimony's internal power. There will be two components of this one, okay? Two components of this. There's going to be, first of all, is the spiritual protection. And then there'll be what's called the spiritual projection. Verse 1 continues. That their heart melted... Neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. So what we see here is the impact of the testimony of the Israelites, God's power, right? By faith, they had trusted the Lord and faithfully he had delivered them into the promised land. God done exactly what he said he was going to do. So this act of faithfulness where the people's faith together with God's strength and God's promises brings a miraculous result. And the coolest thing is the results can be verified. They know it's real. And when someone sees our life, they know it's real. And because of that, the people take it seriously. They respond. We know that fear racks the land, man. It goes across. And obviously, based upon the response, they're not messing around. The testimony of the Israelites is literally going before them, reaching out into the community before they ever get anywhere close. So God is working on their behalf. He's taking away the resolve of the soldiers, right? Those are ready to fight. Those that are ready to stand, who had such confidence in themselves. As the story comes and they hear back, there's millions of them standing in Gilgal. There's no wet footprints. The very stories we heard, it's all true. Their God is powerful. He's coming. Are they going, yeah, bring it on, buddy? They're going, what? Huh? Really? No, 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 no water? No, it's dry as a bone. That's not good. Right? They're resolved, man. They're not ready to fight. They're getting scared. So what happens here is God's working on their behalf. He's protecting them. He's protecting them. Because guess what? They're, they're going to fight. So there's spiritual protection. And if you and I live our lives by faith and we trust the Lord, listen, this is important. Because there are places in our life that we've never been before. There are things that we're going to do that we've never experienced before. Every day we fight spiritual battles. Every single day. When you do not see what's around us, I'm telling you, if the veil was ripped away and we could see the spiritual battle that takes a place around us right now, we would be freaked out to our core. Because what happens, Jesus tells us, or we learn this in Ephesians 6.12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. This is not a physical fight that you're in. Warning. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There are influences around us every single day that are trying to derail us, tempt us, destroy us, and, 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 and discourage us. How many of you ever have a day where you just feel like, you know what, you just feel like you've been beat to pieces, man. By the end of the day, you just feel like you're like, man, I got nothing left in me. 
If I couldn't lean on the Lord in the midst of this, I don't know how I could even survive because there's a spiritual battle taking place. And what happens in our lives is we kind of grow accustomed to our day to day, right? Now, there are going to be challenges that will come, yes. But as we live our day to day lives and we're in our sort of sphere of influence, we get a kind of the idea of the lay of the land. I kind of know who I need to avoid, right? But at the same time, I also know what traps are set for me. I've fallen for this one before. I'm going to keep my eyes out for that because I've been here before. Doesn't mean we have a handle on it, not by any stretch of the imagination, but at least we have a, a familiarity with it. But what about new territory? What about enemy territory, right? We think about the fact that we're going to be going someplace we've never been before. Think about a college student getting ready to go to a college campus. They don't know who to trust. They don't know where to go. All the pressures. Think about a high schooler who's going to high school for the very first time. Suddenly a whole new environment. What was more childlike before is more adult now. And the challenges come. Think about this. You have a new job. You're trying to fit in. You're trying to figure out what to do. All this new territory. Move into a new neighborhood. Get into a new relationship. Maybe get married. Coming up, right? And so as we have this, it's new land. And can I promise you that the devil's got all kinds of traps set before you? And as you walk forward, not by faith, but just kind of trying to figure your way through it. Because you know what's amazing? I met a young man who was asking me if I would marry him. I know him from the gym. And I said, I'd be happy to marry you. Not marry him myself. I'd marry him as a, you know what I'm saying. (laughs) You can edit that out somehow. I'm not marrying a man. I'm already married to a woman. Don't worry. (laughs) But if I would marry he and his fiance, let me put it that way. (laughs) And and what happens is the fact that, you know what I told him? I said, look, of course, I'd be happy to do that. And I said, but my requirement is this, that you would give me six weeks of your life you give me an hour every six, every six weeks. And I said, what we'll do is premarital counseling to teach you what your roles are in the word so you understand what expectations there are of you and how to deal with adversities that, you know what, many times is what happens is Chrissy and I, we counsel families, we counsel marriages. And what we're doing is we're trying to retroactively go back and fix problems that were wrong from the very beginning. And you're trying to teach them this is what you should be doing, but you've been doing it wrong for all these years. What if you could start out on the right foot? What if you knew what your role were? What you understood about parenting? What if you understood about your finances? What if you understood about how to communicate? What if you understood these things beforehand? You'd have a much better chance of succeeding. And he's like, well, I'll think about that. I'm like, great. But I'm just telling you, God has a purpose and a plan. I don't know how in the world I got off on that. It's not in my message at all. Let me see where we are. <laughs> new territory. That's it. Marriage. I just saw it. So understand, as we go into these new territories, the devil's going to have traps set for us, man. He's going to have people that are going to be our tempters. There are going to be folks in there. There are going to be brand new plan of attack for this uncharted land. And I'm going to tell you this. His number one goal is to make sure that your light does not shine. Because the greatest impact we can have in this world is the power of our testimony. Because everybody thinks that Christianity is just a, a hoax or just a joke or a bunch of hypocrites. And when we fill that role and we become a hypocrite before their eyes, guess what they do? They discount everybody. So we have such an important job to be consistent in our walk. If we're going to claim to be Christians, let's live as Christians to make a difference in the world. Because the hopeless people are looking for a way to not turn to Christ. And if we show them the hope and the love of Christ in our life and the way we truly exemplify him, man, we can give them a chance to see the truth. 
2 Corinthians 11, 14 through 15 says this, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Something beautiful. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness. We used to talk, this is talking about demonic forces looking like Christians, whose end shall be according to their works. And I don't care how, I don't care who you are, or how old you are, or how long you've been saved, I'm going to tell you that these guys, they've been taking notes on you from the time you got saved, your whole life. And they know where your weaknesses are. And guess what those demons will do? They'll find every which way they can to derail you in your Christian walk, because the more derailed you are, the less impact you have. Or you can actually destroy a testimony that maybe you built for years around somebody. And it just takes one fall to bring it all crashing down. So what happens? As our love for this new person in our life starts to really take hold of us. And we start to really prioritize them in our life. So much so that they start to take priority over God. Our time in the Word. Our prayer life. And I get talk to somebody, and I'm, this is from experience. Pastor, you don't understand. We both work throughout the week. Sundays are, that's our day. Sundays are, that's our day. No, it's God's day. It's God's day. So we find these people go off to school or whatever situation it may be. And what happens is we find this person saying, you know what? I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing the sin, I mean, I might be there while it's going on, but, you know, I'm just, trying to, I'm just trying to make some friends. I'm just trying to fit into this situation. And what happens is our threshold for sin starts to decrease. And our sensitivity to sin starts to get less. And let me just tell you this. When that happens in your life, you are on the road to destruction. Amen. Because your chances of getting involved in that very sin go through the roof. When we no longer see it the way God does, we start to see it the way the world does. Soon enough, we will look just like God the world. Absolutely a fact. Listen, as Peter, before Peter denies Jesus three times, Jesus says this to him in Luke 22, 31 through 32. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you. Look, dude, you're being hunted that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. The Lord understood that he was in a spiritual battle and that he was being hunted. He saw what was going on around him. He says, look, you got to be careful, Peter. There's a spiritual war every single day. And can I promise you that if you go into these virgin territories, these places you've never been before, and you're not faithfully walking with God, your testimony, you will hide it. You will hide it. Because the desire of humanity is to fit in. And if you're going into a new situation, to a new school, and you don't live your faith when you get there, very soon no one will know who you are in Christ. You'll look just like everybody Amen. else. God knows our weakness. He's fortified us. He's told us what it is that we should do. And our tendency is to fit in, and the devil knows that. So how do we deal with it? What do we do? How do we prepare? Well, remember this. In this study, what have we learned? The way out was the way in. The way out of Egypt was the way in to Canaan. Remember, how do we get saved? 
by faith in Christ. We trusted him with all of our hearts. We gave him our heart. We sanctified ourselves unto him. And guess what? God saved us. And he's saying, hey, guess what? You're going into new land. Guess what you need to do? Give me your heart. Be faithful to me. Sanctify yourself unto me. And guess what? Hey, I'm in this with you, man. Let's take it on. You understand what's happening now is what we've seen in these Israelites is they've been faithful. They've done what God's asked them to do. This second generation has come in to the promised land. They've been faithful. They've honored God. They've trusted him. They've followed him. They've feared him. And because of that testimony, he's working on their behalf. And can I tell you this? If you and I will give ourselves to the Lord, if we will honor him, if we will trust him, if we will fear him and follow him and we will live our lives for God's glory, don't you think he might go before us? Yeah. He fights for his children. We're being faithful. God goes before us. And the thing is, before ever having to deal with those who perhaps would have tempted us, who would have been the pitfall in our life, the ones that may have been a road to destruction, what if God stopped them? Before we ever met him. Second Thessalonians 3, 3. Yes. But the Lord is faithful who, st- who shall establish you and keep you from evil. Mm. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Now, therefore, he says, he says, know, therefore, that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. You be faithful. And guess what? I'll be faithful. Not only protecting us from those that we may never even see, but what about this? What about placing Christians in our path? People that would be an encouragement who would strengthen our resolve in the Lord. Is it possible we might do that? Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. We stand for God no matter what, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke one another to love and to good works. Provoke one another to love and to good works, to do the work of the Lord. So when we face adversity, we've got someone who's going, you know what? You can get through this. I'll walk with you. Why is discipleship important? Because new disciples, new new believers are struggling, trying to face off against that spiritual battle. And what do we do? We come alongside and go, ah, it's okay. I know it's hard, but you'll get through. You'll make it through. We will walk with you. What about placing godly friends around our children When they're endeavoring to take new ground for the Lord in their school, would God do that? Yes. For the faithful. And listen to this in verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. He's saying, look, don't be out of church, but exhorting one another. Exhort means to challenge, to encourage. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. As this world goes deeper and deeper into the pit, we need each other more than ever. Not that we shut out the world and we try to just compliment and celebrate one another. No, we're here to exhort one another to go out into the world. You go out and you deal with somebody. And let's say there's an adversity there, there's a challenge there. Guess what? You tell us and we pray with you. We advise you. We help you. We walk with you. You say, I've got a friend of mine I'm trying to reach. Well, hey, man, can we have lunch? I'll go meet your friend. I don't care. But see what happens when we don't attend church. We miss out. We rob ourselves of the relationships that God has put. He literally designed the church for this purpose. He designed this body to work together that we would support one another, strengthen one another. He wants us. It's God's plan that we would come together and we would worship. 
We don't just come here to get, we come here to give, to let our life be a part of this body of Christ. And what happens, because our church attendance is spotty. People are like, you know what, Ah, I know I should be in church, but preacher, my job, my life is busy. You don't understand all the responsibility that I have. And I I thought about this this week. Out of 168 hours in a week, you know how many hours it requires to be faithful to Hope Baptist Church? Two. Hour and 20 minutes on Sunday morning, 40 minutes on Wednesday. Two hours out of 168 hours. And how many of us struggle to do that? Wednesday night comes. I know it's at 7 o'clock. It isn't like we spring it up on y'all every week. <laughs> Tonight it's Tuesday at 3. Uh, oh, I didn't know. It's been 7 o'clock for years, right? So it isn't like, a, oh, man, right back. No, you know it's coming. Yeah, we're like, ah, you know what? I, I, I have a hard time being on there at 7. Listen, if I was going to pay you $10,000 if you were there at 7 o'clock, how many of y'all would make it? Boom. No problem, preacher. Got it. But let me tell you, the money, the $10,000, it ain't going to change your future. It's not going to change your families. God's word is what changes us. It's what matures us and grows us and challenges us. So I'm challenging you guys to be faithful. Because what happens is we'll tell ourselves, even if I don't catch it on Wednesday at 7 o'clock, as long as I get it in by the end of the week, you know what I am? I'm faithful. I was faithful this week. We tell ourselves that. God's expectation is that we would be faithful to his word. All right? You ever read Psalm 119? There's 176 verses. And you know what the whole thing's talking about? David's love for God's word and David's faithfulness to God's word. And what was David called by God? A man after God's own heart. That's who we're supposed to be. The word of God is supposed to guide us. In Psalm 119, 105, he says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. This is David. And a light unto my path. The word of God is what guides my life. But how many of us, every day, wake up saying, You know what, Lord? Guide me today. Guide my heart today. I'm going to turn to your word today, not just to read it, but I want you to speak to my heart and guide me today for what's to come. How many maybe once or twice a week? There are people probably sitting in this room that might have it happen once or twice a year. Yet we want to claim ourselves faithful because we're not living in open sin. It's just the way it is. We're in a Laodicean church age, man. This is where the people are pulling away from God. And we must challenge ourselves to go back to him. The lost people of this world, they need to know Christ. And what happens with us, because of our attitude, we've got our testimony under wraps. And we go through our life with our head down. And we're surrounded by lost people who need the Lord desperately. But they won't hear it from us because we're focused upon us. And yet, if we went to church and we were there on Wednesday, what would we call ourselves? Faithful. I'm, I'm faithful. But then if we get honest with ourselves and we say, well, you know what? Lord, maybe I'm not faithful. You know what will happen? Pride will immediately step up and go, well, I'm a lot more faithful than the people around me. Right? Isn't that what happens to us? We compare ourselves to those around us. And I'm not here to beat you guys up. I'm just telling you, this is an important thing because if we're expecting God to protect us, he asks faithfulness. God is a conditional God. We saw this through this entire message. We've seen it for week after week after week. It's conditional. God's blessings are conditional. What it means is if we'll do our part, he'll do his part. 
Listen, I'll prove it to you. There's hundreds of verses, but I'll give you just three. Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, who are, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. So if they'll do their part, guess what? Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Conditional. Galatians 6, 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing. So don't stop. Because if you don't stop, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17 and 18. Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate. Sanctify yourself from the, from the world, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And if you will do this, if you will sanctify yourself, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And so if we want God to go before us, we need to be found faithful before we face the challenges life's going to bring. But as we understand that truth, Recognize the fact that the power of the testimony, it's not just about protecting us. It's also, we talked about the reach. Now it's the internal power, that spiritual projection. So we had spiritual protection, now spiritual projection. The testimony of the Israelites made their enemies fearful for sure. But sadly, what we're going to find in the coming weeks is this fear is not going to translate into saving faith. Though they believe God is real. Though they are fearful of him, though they recognize his power, they will put their trust in their human strength, in their walls and their wisdom, and they will stand defiantly against God, and it will mean the destruction of almost every person in Jericho. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 13, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. You see, everyone fears death at some level. Everybody does. But what happens? For those in our age who struggle with believing in the one true God, what do they do? Though they're fearful of God, what they'll do is they'll either accept or create their own alternative to God. You know what? God doesn't even exist. I don't need to worry about it because God's not real. Or I'm my own God. I determine my destiny. Or there's this one. Well, the God I believe in he wouldn't judge sin because you know what? God's a God of love. And God's desire is that I would be happy. And my happiness is proof that God loves me. Let me tell you, your life's not about being happy. It's about being holy. That's what God's expectation is. So what we find here is these folks will stand defiantly against God. And the same thing is happening in our world today. And these children of disobedience will stand against God. And guess what? In the world today, there's a very small minority that's going to realize who Christ really is and survive. We see it pictured in Rahab. Rahab is a picture of the believer amongst the lost. And what we find is the fact that Rahab heard the general testimony. She heard what everybody else heard, and it impacted her. But if that's all she'd ever heard, there's a good chance we would not know who Rahab was. She would have stayed with her crowd and been destroyed in Jericho. But what we find with her is there's another layer to it. On top of that general testimony... She gets a personal testimony from the two spies, and they tell her their story. And it's that personal connection with those two men that will not only save Rahab, but it save her entire family. That's all chronicled in Joshua chapter number 2. So the power of the personal testimony can be life-changing. So we must never lose sight of the power of our story. If you have a story, if you are born again, you have a story. But will we 
share it because the power of that testimony internally, what it can do as it's projected in the life that we live, we get to give hope to those who don't have hope. First Peter 3.15 says this, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you for the, says, of the reason of the hope that is in you. And it says with meekness and fear. That means you don't say, man, I'm great because I'm this person. No, we give our testimony of God's goodness and why we're so hopeful because we have a relationship with Christ. We do it in humility. That's what God uses. It's not about our story. It's not about who we are. It's about whose we are. That's the key. Whose we are and what he has done for us. And as God reveals himself to this disobedient world through chaos in their individual lives or chaos in the world as a whole and fear racks our country as it racks right now. And as people are in fear, they're looking for answers. Remember what we heard? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He continues, verse 19. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. This is on the cross. Not imputing their trespasses unto them. Not making them guilty for their sin, willing to pay the price for them. And hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So he's given us a ministry of reconciliation and a word of reconciliation. The word is the gospel message. We're supposed to share this truth. Verse 20. Now then we, as, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us. He says, look, what did we tell you when we came as ambassadors? When he says, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled. That's the message you need to tell other people. Be ye reconciled. Let God reconcile your heart through Christ on the cross. Live your faith and share your faith. Verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us. This is the gospel. Who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This is what the world needs right now. Now And we share it through the way that we speak, the life that we live, our testimony to the world. And I'm wrapping it up. Oh, I missed a page. I was wrapping it up. There we go. So as we face the spiritual battleground that is ahead of us every day, because we're in one, whether we realize it or not. Yeah. If we're going to go into that spiritual battlefield, the questions are this. Will our faithfulness cause the Lord to allow our testimony to reach beyond our influence? Will our testimony of faithfulness compel him to protect us from our spiritual foes? While at the same time, will it project his goodness to those in need of his saving grace? There's such an important job for us to do. And listen, if the answer is yes, praise the Lord, man. <laughs> praise the Lord. Man, remain steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. He says, for you should reap if you faint not, man. Just do the right thing and keep doing it. But if it's no, and we check our hearts honestly, let's own it. Let's own it. Who we are and what God's expectation is. Let's take what we've learned and redirect our priorities. That's one of the biggest problems. And if we'll do that, redirect our priorities and develop a faithful walk with God. If we'll do that, then we can move forward. If we go forward unfaithfully, 
prepare for destruction. Because God will take his hand off of those who live defiantly of him. And you know why? Because he hates them? No. Because unfortunately who we are is stubborn, stiff-necked people. And the one thing we listen to is tribulation. And when we find ourselves broken and overwhelmed and fearful, then we turn to God. We can do it by faith today, or we can wait for the tribulation to come. We get to choose before moving forward. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today, for for your word, for the depth of what you've shown us. And Lord, I do pray for, if no one else, I pray for myself, Lord, that I might be found faithful to do what you've called us to do. Lord, thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you those who are faithful to be in church today, those that are online with us today. Thank you so much for all those that you're working in. And Lord, I do pray that this word will, will grip us, that Lord, we will redirect our priorities and understand who it is we are to be. And the reason that we must be that person is because the time grows short. The chaos of the world indicates a greater need for you more than ever. So their heads bowed, their eyes closed. Listen, if you're here today and you say, look, Pastor, I don't, I don't even know where I stand with God. 20 years ago, someone asked me if I, if I died today. They said, 20 years ago, if you died today, are you sure you'd go to heaven? And I said, you know what? I hope so. I didn't know. And thank God they cared enough about me to share the truth of who Christ really was. Not my religious belief or what I thought he was, but the fact that Jesus Christ loved me enough to come in the midst of my sin, to be willing to die for my sin, to love me in the midst of my troubles and my struggles, and was willing to bear my sin upon his own body, willing to die on the cross to pay a price that I could not pay. And 20 years ago, I asked Christ to come into my heart and to save me. It's not a religious experience. It's not a ceremony. It's not a a magic prayer. It's a broken heart understanding its need for Christ. And if you're here today, you're watching this online and God's calling you, all you need to do is respond. As he's calling your heart and he's asking you, you know he's calling you. You feel him compelling you. I'm going to give you a chance to pray. Again, it's not the words of the prayer that will do anything for you. They don't do anything. It's the heart. The The Bible says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So as he calls your heart right now, I'm asking you just to respond. Let him gather you into his arms today. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to see Christ as your Savior, I'm going to lead you in prayer. And as I pray, I'm going to ask you just to repeat after me. Again, it's not the words. It's just simply your heart. Repeat after me in your heart and mind if you want to receive Christ. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a, a sinner. And Lord, I've disappointed my family disappointed myself and you and I'm sorry God I believe that you died on the cross that you were buried in a borrowed tomb and you were raised on the third day and that you died so that I might live for you I'm asking you right now in the best way I know how to come into my heart to save my soul and to give me a home in heaven Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen.